so why don't you come on up and we'll dismiss you with a prayer. Father, again, we give you thanks for who you are and for your, your great love. And Father, I pray that you would grow these children to know you and uh, to grow in you. I pray that you would bless them and the instruction they receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before I start, I just have a couple of announcements. And this week, it's Worship Wednesday. And so Wednesday at 7 o'clock here, uh, as we do on the last Wednesday of each month, we have what we call a Worship Wednesday. And we, we kind of get together and we, we sing some old songs and learn some new songs. And we... And, and we, we call it an encounter, and so we, we try to have testimonials, and we, we share stories, and we read uh, passages of Scripture from the Bible, and, and so it's Worship Wednesday, 7 o'clock here, Wednesday night. Uh, prayer meetings, Friday uh, morning and Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and I think the ladies' study is over, and so that was... Uh, um, uh, a good response to that, and, and the ladies have, have done really well. And perhaps in, uh, after Christmas, maybe there'll be another one. And there is a men's one-day conference uh, with Impactus. And a couple of us are going already, and this conference is in March. And right now, the the regular price for these tickets are $75, but right now, kind of like, like a Black Friday deal, is they're $45. That's quite a savings. And so if you would like to attend that or like to explore it, in, uh, no, sorry. Um, if, if you want to explore at, uh, attending that, um, then uh, come and talk to me. Uh, after the service, and we'll we'll get you signed up. I, I it, for forty five dollars. Three of us went last year, and it, um, it was, or I guess it was earlier this spring, or earlier this year. And it was well, it impacted us. It's called Impact Us. Is the group uh, used to be Promise Keepers, and they changed their name to Impact Us. And so, uh, I really would encourage you if you can. Uh, take it in. It it can it would be life changing. It it's very um, uh, very impactful. Any other announcements? Uh, there is uh, where there's lunch after actually for anybody that wants to stay and help decorate uh, for Christmas. And so we'll we'll do that. And also there is the farmers market on the eighth. And there's a sign up. And there's lots of blanks there. And so if you can help at all for the farmers market. Uh, just go see the the list out in the foyer and put your name down and we'll be we'll rejoice with you and serve together and um, oh yes ladies exercise it's Monday and Friday ladies exercise this week is Monday and Friday at seven o'clock here okay I think that's all the announcements oh uh, and by the way happy Thanksgiving to our American friends it is uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, for the United States of America. And so we want to wish uh, them a very happy Thanksgiving. The names of God. Today we're looking at Jehovah Rapha. Here's a question sent in 
uh, to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, my husband had successful open-heart surgery a few months ago. We had lots of people praying for him, but later I discovered his doctor is an atheist. And he doesn't even believe in God. Who healed my husband? God or the doctors? Well, that's an interesting question. And this is how the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association answered that. Ultimately, it was God who healed your husband. Even if he used your husband's doctors to help bring it about. As the psalmist prayed, I trust in you, Lord. My times are in your hands. Psalm 31, 14, and 15. Look at it another way. What if people hadn't prayed and God hadn't been at work in your husband's body during the surgery? What hope would you have had then? The answer is clear. You wouldn't have any hope. Yes, you trusted the doctors and their skills, and you should have, but even the most skilled surgeon in the world would have accomplished nothing if God hadn't been at work in hidden ways to restore your husband's health. I will never forget my late father-in-law, uh, Dr. L. Nelson Bell. He was highly skilled surgeon who served in China before World War II as a missionary and later worked in the United States. Although he helped thousands during his long career, he always knew that only God could bring healing to his patients. He never entered the operating room without praying for God's help. Actually, I knew a doctor that way, a Christian doctor. And he would, he would pray with the patient if they let him. Prayed for my daughter when she, her appendix were removed. Would pray with the patient, asking for God's mercy and healing. Absolutely amazing. Now, that's a, that's a beautiful thing that a doctor can acknowledge that, that, that you know, knowledge is good and skill is good, but it all comes from the Lord. Now, uh, be thankful for those to whom God in his grace has given great skill, no matter what they do or what they believe or disbelieve. Pray for them also that they may realize that everything they have and everything they are able to do comes from God's hands. Above all, pray that you and your husband will use the rest of your lives to help others and point them to Jesus Christ. And so that was Billy Graham's answer to that question. If there's one thing that's constant, constant in our world today, it's need for healing. Don't you think? There's, there, people need healing. And it's not just physical healing. People need healing in in their relationships. I mean, there's disease, sickness, broken relationships, sudden loss of a loved one, betrayal, oppression, discouragement, loneliness, failure. In so many places, we need physical and or emotional healing. Our world needs both. We need Jehovah Rapha so desperately. And so I have good news for you. The creator of the universe... The our, all, Almighty God is the great physician. He's our healer, Jehovah Rapha, and we'll look at that today. Uh, my outline is as follows. The first healing, the immediate context, the heart test, and the great physician. And so first of all, the first healing. Now, I've talked about this before, but there's a law in, in hermeneutics 
not everybody agrees with it. I like it. It doesn't always work out, but it does many times. It's called the law of first mention. It's a general rule or guide to aid in understanding and interpreting Scripture. Generally, the law of first mention says that the heart of a theological matter can be determined by the first time it's used in the Bible. Uh, Dr. F. E. Marsh defines it this way. The first time a word occurs in the Scriptures gives the key to understanding its meaning in every other place. I like it. I like this way of uh, interpreting. Uh, not, and, and again, um, I, I found it very helpful. For example, last Sunday, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, he put it this way, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. That's Genesis 22 and verse 2. The word love, that's the first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible. Interesting that it's not, love isn't mentioned at creation with Adam and Eve. They were just kind of put together and, and, and I don't know what love had to do with it. They had to learn to love one another apparently, I suppose. I would have voted for Adam and Eve to have been the first mention of love, but it was Abraham's love for his son that is mentioned first in the Word of God. And it's definitely a foreshadow of God's love for us by sending Jesus to Calvary to die for our sins. God loved us that much. And so so when we look at uh, love, I mean, it was His only begotten Son, His beloved Son. No voice came from heaven to prevent it. Jesus was the lamb. I mean, when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, a voice came from heaven. It was, it was the angel of the Lord that said, don't do it. But when Jesus died on the cross, God's beloved son, no voice came from heaven to say, prevent this. Let's not do this. You've proven that you can love. No, Jesus went through this it is, and, and, and so the way love is used the very first time reflects on the way love is used in the entire Bible. I believe that. And so from the first mention, love withholds nothing. Love sacrifices the very best. Love costs everything. Now, what about healing? I'm going to paraphrase what's taken place in Genesis chapter 20. Abraham has, was a, a kind of a nomad. He was a wanderer um, and lived in tents. And he came into the area of Gerar. He was afraid of the king of Gerar, Abimelech, and so he asked Sarah, his wife, to pretend that she was his sister. <laughs> his sister. Pretend that you're my sister because I think Abimelech would take me, take you by force and kill me just to have you. That's what Abraham was thinking. And this is actually one passage I really, if I'm honest, I really shake my head at this. Because um, Abraham is afraid that because of Sarah's great beauty, 
Okay, just think about this. Sarah's great beauty. <laughs> Sarah's great beauty that Abimelech would kill Abraham in order to steal his beautiful wife. And so he says, please pretend to be my sister. Well, then Abimelech does call for her. But here's the thing. I'll just remind you that at this point, Sarah is 89 years old. She's 89 years old. Apparently, she was knockout beautiful. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. So Abimelech does take Sarah into his harem. Uh, but God prevents Abimelech from going into Sarah and having any physical relationship with her. God prevents that. Okay, okay just uh, again, she is 89 years old. <laughs> 89. And then God comes to Abimelech in a dream and tells him that he, Abimelech, you're a dead man because you have taken another man's wife and you're in real trouble. You're a dead man. That's, a, that's pretty much what God said. You've taken the married woman. At, that, um, at the same time, all the, all the wombs of the women in Abimelech's, um, in Abimelech's household, all of them were, were barren. They were closed up. All the wombs were closed up so that, that, that no children would be born. And you could see the reasoning for that. Abimelech was going to be cut off. He would have no, no one to continue his, uh, his line, right? Um, he, his line was doomed. And so Abraham is given his wife back when he finds this out. And Abimelech isn't too happy about it. And, and, and then Abimelech gives him sheep and oxen and male and female servants. And the freedom to live wherever he wants. And so um, also a thousand pieces of silver and a public rebuke for Sarah. You shouldn't have done that, Sarah. What were you thinking? And so this is, and, and now this is where the first mention of the word healing comes into place. This, uh, that is the background. Now this is the first mention. And so Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And then in chapter 21, Sarah's womb is open. Isn't that interesting? Sarah was unable to have children until that point. And when Abraham prayed for Abimelech and for Abimelech's household, Sarah, her womb was also opened up. And so what does this first healing tell us about God and about healing? Well, number one, God is the great physician. It's important to note that God had a purpose for the health issue as well as the healing. There was a purpose for the health issue as well as the healing, that God would, God's name would be magnified, that God's name would be lifted up. And Now, here's another, another thing. What if one of the keys to a breakthrough in healing is not only to believe God for your own healing, but for others also? 
Can you pray for others that they would be healed when you yourself need healing? I think that's important to consider. Even though you have yet to experience healing yourself. Sarah was healed at the same time Abraham prayed for Abimelech's people. I think that is amazing. And I think it really says something very powerful. Um, God wants to heal both Jew and Gentile. As God used flawed Abraham as a conduit of his healing power, God wants to use us, flawed people, people like you and I, as conduits for healing. Now, there's more than physical healing that's needed in our world today. Would you speak healing or encouraging words to somebody that really needs to hear it? Somebody is broken. Can you speak healing into their life? Our world needs healing. Well, our text is actually found in Exodus chapter 15. And I'm going to read that now, starting at verse 22. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. And so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. And then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it is called Merah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters... The waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and so they camped there by the waters. Well, I want to give you the immediate context here um, in, in this, our text. The children of Israel had just witnessed the power of God in so many ways. They had... As a slave nation, they had been suffering for generations. They were, um, and life was hard for them. Life was difficult. And they witnessed a contest between the one true God and Pharaoh and the gods that he served. They witnessed this. Ten plagues utterly ruined anything that resembled stability in Egypt. And uh, ten, uh, and so um, they, they had just gone through that. They just witnessed these ten plagues. All the firstborns in Egypt were killed. Uh, um, in Israel, in Goshen, where they were staying, they applied blood to the doorposts and, and, and the mantle, and the angel passed over them that would have taken the firstborn's life. And they celebrate Passover, and that's what Jesus was celebrating with the disciples at the Last Supper. Pharaoh finally agrees to let them go. 
And then he changes his mind. And so he's, he, he's got them concerned. Mountains on this side, mountains on this side, Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea before him. What are they going to do? They're trapped, right? And so they're, they, they've, they've, they're worried. What do they do? The children of Israel were afraid. They didn't have any weapons of warfare. The Egyptians didn't arm them. The Egyptians had the weapons because they had been a slave nation. And so they cried out to the Lord and also told Moses, we told you this would happen. And they wanted to go back and serve Pharaoh. Then the Red Sea is split and they cross on dry ground. The Egyptians try to follow them, but their wheels fall off and they get stuck in, in, in the sand. And then the sea swallows them up. Now the sea is between them and, an, and any Egyptian attempt in the future. The sea is between them. And so they're safe. And they decide to celebrate. And boy, did they ever celebrate. Most of chapter 15 is that celebration. And it's the song they sang. Moses' sister Miriam seemed to take the lead with music and dancing and they really celebrated that God saved them from the Egyptians. And then we get to verse 22. And it simply reads, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. A more accurate translation would be then Mo, um, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. He made them set out. You know what I think happened? And, and you can kind of figure this out. Moses made them set out. They wanted to stay there. They were happy in their celebration. They were happy in their mountaintop experience. And they wanted to stay there. And they wanted to celebrate. And they didn't want to go any further. Moses caused them to journey. It seems like they really didn't want to leave. Perhaps they just wanted to bask in the glory of victory. Stay on that mountaintop experience. But God didn't want them to stay there. God had a place for them to be. He had a destination for them. They were going to Mount Sinai. They were going to the mountain of God. And yet here they were. They were satisfied just to stay there and celebrate this victory. But it's not over. We can be like that too, can't we? We haven't grown. We haven't moved from a past victory in years. We remember that victory, but we've never moved beyond it. Brothers and sisters, God has a destination for each one of us. We, can, we can't live on past mountaintop experiences. Another thing we want um, to notice is that they were exactly where God had directed them to go. Okay, so when Moses caused them to, to march, caused them to leave the Red Sea, caused them to leave their celebration, they were exactly where God wanted them. And so when they came to the Red Sea, this is what we read, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And so... It came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. 
Uh, Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, and so that the one did not come near the other all that night. And so God was protecting Israel with with this cloud, with his Shekinah glory. He was there protecting them. Again, they were here by the will of God. They'd traveled three days. Okay? They've traveled three days. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an unexpected wrong turn. It wasn't that they couldn't read a map. It wasn't a bit of bad luck. God wasn't punishing them for some failure. It was a test, according to verse 25. It was a heart test. So that's where we travel next, the heart test. How can we blame them, actually? They were thirsty. They traveled three days in the, in, in the desert, in the wilderness. If you and I were there, I'm sure we would have reacted the very same way. Originally, Moses had asked Pharaoh to allow the children of Israel to travel three days into the desert. That's Exodus 5, 1 to 3. And so this is where they are, three days into the desert. The human body can go three days without water. And especially in those hot, dry conditions, it would have been, they, they, they would have been really, they, well, they would have got pretty excited, pretty afraid. And so they got to be really thirsty. And they can see the water in the distance. Can you, can you imagine this as they're traveling? All of a sudden, they can see the water in the distance. It's Mara. They don't know it's bitter, but they can see it. They can see the water, and they're getting excited, and they're moving a little bit faster because, oh, man, there's water, and we are so thirsty. And then the first people get there, and they, they, they dip into the water, and it is bad. It's undrinkable. They can't drink it. Their animals can't drink it. And then, and then word starts to, get, to go from the front all the way to the back of, this, of thousands of people. And we can't drink the water. There's water, but we can't drink it. So from excitement to relief to extreme, extreme disappointment, disbelief, and anger. What's going on here? I think in psychology it's called a negative bias. Have you heard of that? A negative bias which is our tendency to pay more attention to negative information than to positive information. Give more weight to negative experiences over neutral or positive experiences. Let me give you an example. Little Johnny comes home from school and he gives you his report card and you see A plus, A plus, A, A plus, C minus. What do you see? You see the sea. Oh, Johnny. Hmm. What are we going to do with you? He's, he's got a bunch of A's. He's done really well. And maybe, that, you know, maybe that's not his favorite subject. Uh, maybe, he's, maybe the teacher doesn't like him. I, I don't know. Another example. You're considering buying a product and decide to look at the reviews. Maybe on Amazon, Right? And so you're looking at the reviews. There are 60 really positive reviews, and people, oh, this is a great product. But there's like 10 
negative comments. There's, I would never buy this again. And then all of a sudden you're reluctant to buy this product because those negative reviews get into your head. It's called negative bias. As human beings, we are wired to see what's wrong. In fact, it can be helpful to notice what's wrong at times because if something is dangerous, you should be able to navigate away from the danger, and so it's helpful to see if things are wrong. Or, Unfortunately, negative bias often causes more trouble than it's helpful. Remember the 12 spies who went and spied on Canaan? There's talk about a negative bias. And so these 12 spies went out. Ten had a problem with negative bias. And then, of course, all the people that were listening to the reports from these 12 spies, 10 were bad and two were good. Okay? And so it cost them 40 years of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, because of this negative bias. All they could see was the negative and not that God had prepared this land for them and they just needed to go in and possess it. We can do this, Caleb and Joshua said. But the ten other spies said, no, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants. We'll never survive. And the people had a negative bias and believed the negative report. Chris uh, T. Green uh, believes that negative bias has profound spiritual implications. How can they not? Think about its impact on these spiritual attributes. Gratitude. And what if you have a negative bias? If you focus on what's wrong, how, can, how are you able to be thankful for what has gone right? Faith. How can you be confident in God's promises if your thoughts gravitate towards possible exceptions to them? Hope. How can you expect good, a good outcome if you're worried about a bad one? Love. How is it possible to love people well if their faults seem bigger than their, than their value as human beings? And so the negative bias, bias can have, have really profound spiritual implications. And so here the children of Israel are. They have found water, but it's undrinkable. What does their bent to a negative bias do for them? Well, they've survived ten plagues, but they don't remember that. They were a free people. Slavery was behind them. The Egyptians were actually very generous, giving the children of Israel wealth, according to Exodus chapter 12, God caused the Egyptians to want to give to the children of Israel as they left. Please take this silver. Please take this gold. Please take these oxen. Just go. God be with you. The army that pursued them was eliminated. All of these positive things, but still, only three days out, only three days. And they forgot all of these positive things that God had done for them. After all, this wouldn't be... This, wouldn't it be reasonable for the children of Israel to trust God in this situation? 
After all, God has done so much for them. Instead of remaining thankful and asking God to work on their behalf, they begin complaining. And it only took three days for them to forget about God's goodness. Worsby says, God was testing his people not because he didn't know their hearts, but because they didn't know their own hearts. They needed to know. They needed to know how damaged they were. They were, they, you know what? They were in need of healing. The waters, they could be healed, but the children of Israel were need of, in need of healing. So the great physician, who could heal the bitter water? Who could heal their bruised and damaged hearts? They came to Moses and Moses came to the Lord. The remedy wasn't that far away. It was a simple demonstration. In fact, it was a lesson in what God expected from those who served him. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, God asked his people to listen to him and to trust him. And in response, he would continue to, to be the God who heals. He would continue to be Jehovah Rapha. Here's a good question. Think about this. Did the tree have some sort of healing power that Moses threw into the water? Was it the tree that made the water sweet? I think it was an illustration. I think it was a prop. I think the tree was a prop, and it's God that did the healing of the water. Logically, it wasn't the tree, but the power of God. In this case, I believe the tree was a prop. And here's another question. Because God doesn't do things by accident, there was a reason why God showed a tree to Moses. Think about that. There's a reason why it was a tree. Why a tree? Because there would be another tree. Jesus would find that tree. And he would suffer on that tree. And he would die on that tree. That tree God throws into the bitter water of sin. And all who drink will be healed. I think it's a tree, not by accident. I think God planned it that way because there was going to be another tree. Again, this Hebrew word rapha is used some 60 times in the Old Testament and it means to restore, to heal, to cure, and to repair. For example, in 1 Kings 18.30, it says Elijah repaired, that is rapha, Elijah repaired the altar of Jehovah, meaning he brought the altar back to its original state. Jehovah is our healer. David wrote in Psalm 103, it starts out like this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. That's Rapha. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like an eagle's. Of course, Jesus, Jehovah in the flesh, continued healing in the New Testament. Why? 
because he is Jehovah Rapha? What was Jesus' ministry in the New Testament? In, in the Gospels. You can't read the Gospels without seeing that Jesus healed all those who came to him. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. What was the focus of Jesus' ministry? Well, healing and preaching. Why? Because he is Jehovah Rapha. He's our healer. So what is your Mara? What is your Mara? What's your bitter water? We all have Mara someplace in our lives. A wayward child, a difficult relationship, an ungodly home, crushed hopes, an unstoppable disease, an empty life and heart. Each heart knows its own bitterness. At Merah, Moses needed water just like all the others. He needed water. But where the others started complaining, Moses went to the Lord and prayed. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. And Jehovah Rapha showed him the way forward. If we're not careful, the bitter waters of Merah can take us in the direction of constant complaining and misery. There is a, a better choice. Can we choose to believe that the bitter waters we must face are somehow in the plan of God because when the children of Israel came to their Merah, they were exactly where God wanted them. He was testing them. And so sometimes these things are permitted for spiritual growth and character development. They will make us better if we let it and not bitter. When we call out to Jehovah Rapha, our healer, he will answer. He will heal and he will lead you to an Elam experience. Elam where there were 70 palm trees and 12 wells. And I'm sure the people found rest there after their test and healing in Jesus' name. Is there no bomb in Gilead and no physician there that people still should languish in sickness and despair? Is there no one to free them, no power to release? Yes, Jesus died to save from sin, from sickness and disease. Yes, there is a bomb in Gilead. A great physician there, for Jesus died on Calvary, our sickness to bear. Then ask in faith, believing. His promises are true. Doubt not, but come receiving. There's healing now for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jehovah Rapha. We thank you that you are our healer. You went so far for us. That tree is special. That tree is amazing. That tree is beautiful for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So this benediction, may God our creator renew in us a holy passion 
that brings life and healing into our broken world. May Jesus the Christ uphold us in grace and truth. May the Holy Spirit fill us with the courage to be the bearers of God's song of hope, both now and forever. Amen.